Welcome back to the Dropping and Surf Show. Rob Case here, paddling coach, and my co-host, Jim Segelnik, doctor of physical therapy. Uh, this week, uh, we recorded on Wednesday, October 14th, 2020, a conversation that we had with Dan Mori of Fulcrum Surf. Dan has been running Fulcrum Surf since 2003. Uh, he is a former WQS surfer for a few years, an old friend of mine, and he coaches everywhere from beginners all the way to advanced uh, surfers and expert surfers, uh, very technical aspects of the sport uh, to help you improve. So he dropped some great nuggets on surf progression and uh, we had a wonderful conversation with Dan. So I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, let us know if you have any questions. Dude, this is the, this is the Jean-Luc that you sold me. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Like this was a great board for me. And so I wanted to like you're so good at dialing in equipment. And I was like, when you sold this to me, I was like, I was like, are you sure? Man, this thing is thin. And like I went out on it and every time I surf on it, I love it. Yeah. Um, so it's wild. You have sensitivity. Have just for you. you have yeah. sensitivity. That's the that's the biggest myth on surfboards is that Big volume, big volume for people that don't know anything and that they're utilizing their weight to like lay on the board to help sustain them. Yes, we need as much volume. But once you start to get better and be able to kind of maneuver around, then you need your ratio with your weight and, and body weight and, and how you're going to, what type of surfing you're going to do. You know, that's the, the combination that you need for you know, where you surf, I'm going to tell you completely different because you surf NorCal heavier, you know, more, the, the water's different too, right? You come mm -hmm. to San Diego and it's fluffy here, there it's like, you have to paddle a lot harder, right? And certain spots and then certain wedgie, you don't have to paddle hard. You just have to get in the right spot and just, you know, drop in, you know, s straight into it. So it all depends on you know, that's why surfing is so hard because there's just so many different um, directions you can go and there's so many variables, you know, with that. So, hey, Dan, so do you think uh, surfboard volume is underrated? Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, um, over the years, I've I've changed my outlook on boards so many times. And from and when I look back, I'm like, I didn't know anything. You know, I, I really learned a lot, especially going to the, to the wave ranch so many times and testing out boards and I'll go there and I'll have a caddy, one of the, the, the guides there, hold onto my other board. And then I'll go out, bam, bam, two waves. And I'm like, switch. And then bam, bam, two waves. And then I'm like, okay, next hour, I'm going to take these two boards and I'm going to try these maneuvers. And then I was like really able to dial down cause you're surfing the exact same wave every time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, trying to draw out those same lines and then same as barrel riding you know i'm like okay my focus is barrel riding super thin blade so i can go as deep as possible you know i i don't want to look at that kelly slater wave of footage of me and me being like right there right there i want mm -hmm. to be disappearing through that whole slotted wave so um and that was my goal but then if i'm going to do turns i now have to you know you have to give a little bit as far as like I have to stay in front of that wave to do turns um and and obviously you guys know that it's not the same as riding a wave you don't you can't hit the lip throw that tail out and recover unless you're a 
a top pro and you are lightning fast, you know, um, because that wave is moving way faster than a regular wave. So, um, and the power is more, uh, it moves more horizontally than into like perpendicular, like an ocean wave. I believe so. Yeah. So what did you learn surfing Kelly's about boards? And we should probably tell people you've probably clocked more sessions there than the average person. You've been there at least 20 something times, right? Probably about 15 times. So what is it about that wave? uh, Or what have you learned about your opinion of boards? How has it changed because of that wave? Um, Finally, you can surf the same wave. And so you could you can draw out the lines. Now there, there's little variables in the wind. So that's mm. a change as far as the offshore wind. Um, but at least I can just be there, ride, you know, a couple waves and then switch out with the caddy, ride, you know, a different board without mm-hmm. going in, you know, so I'm just, you know, within 10 minutes, I can ride a different board and then um, seeing the video footage right away. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then also working with a lot of clients and I'm like, mm-hmm. try this board. I could see that you can't even slow down cause you have too much volume pushing you mm. out, out of the barrel. And so, um, yeah. So what do you think, um, are common, <clears throat> excuse me, common mistakes we make taking a board to the wave pool? Are we overvolumed under rockered? Uh, we need a thinner board. What kind of, what kind of things do you think you pick up there? Uh, it all depends on what you're trying to do. Mm. It really does. It's, do you want to just do turns? Do you want to get deepest barrel? Do you want to do airs? Um, airs, flatter, you know, more surface area. Um, not always have to be, but um, it's easier. Um, the pros can do it on, on their boards, regular boards. Um, a thruster, uh, more of a blade. You are going to be surfing in the pocket and pulling in the barrel. Um, more of a, uh, we call it competitive fish. Like I call it a comp fish, which is kind of flatter swallowtail. Um, that's more about kind of doing carves out in front, um, things like that. So, um, different usage. And then what's your level, you know, mm-hmm. um, what are your limitations for your body? Like, are you an uh, older person that started in their thirties and or forties and you're trying to surf like a higher level pro, um, or a, or a pro even, um, it's now we have to look at your body mechanics. Are you physically able to twist your body? Probably not. Are you able to, and if you're, you know, 12 year old kid that rips, you're like, Hey, you got to do some lunges. You got to get those leg strength to be able to hold certain turns and compressions to be able to blow the tail and mm-hmm. things like that. So cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty wild, man. I remember um, when we co-coached there, um, you working with clients. Do you have like a a set methodology when you work video analysis specifically, when you're reviewing a video, not to overwhelm them with too much stuff? Because you did that really, really well. You gave them like one or two things, and then you immediately saw the change in them. And like, at least I saw the change in them. Like, how do you not overwhelm them? Yeah. So the basic principle, how I coach is what comes first. Is it the board? Is it their body? So you have to do assessment with them physical. Are they overweight or are they in shape? You know, are they, you know, sorry to say overweight, but you know, just things like that. And then mental, 
You know, is your mental game, are you scared? Do you have a lot of fear? Three, pride. Are you too prideful to, you know, take that coaching and kind of, you have to be an open canvas to be like, okay, I got to trust this coach to be able mm -hmm. to do that. Um, we, you know, and then four is your equipment. Is your equipment going to allow you to do what you can do, you know? And then five, um, it is the principles where I kind of go through the base of the surfboard first, because if you're not on the right equipment, game over already, you're, you're done. So with all that compiled data, I'll say, okay, you should be on this board with what you're trying to do with your surfing goal. And then from there, I'll say, then I'll work through the footing. Is your footing in the right spot? And then from that, are you able to compress your knees? Oh, you're too weak? Oh, you have MCL tear a couple of years ago? Okay, here are some roadblocks that we have to work with. And so that's why I bring, you know, physical therapists to kind of work through and kind of massage those areas just to at least help a little bit, you know, it's not going to repair them, but it'll make their day a lot more loose and a lot more open for that session. And then from there, then the outlook of what you're trying to do. So it all depends on that, that level of every step of like what trumps what, you know? Um, and so with that, I just give them that one thing to work on and that's it. Um, don't need to be like, Hey, you need to do this, 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 where other people are like, Hey, you missed that turn over there. You should have done a turn. And you're like, well, how do you even do a turn? How did, how do you even set up for a turn? Well, your pop-up is not even correct. So you're not even going to be able to put yourself in that position to do that turn. Mm -hmm. So you have to reverse all the way back to the basic level of like, how did you pop up? How were you, how were you able to, you know, and then before that, is your board correct? Are you able to turn that board in or is it going to pancake out on you because it's got too much volume? So, and then you got to ask the, the client, are you, you know, they'll say, Oh, I don't want to go to less volume because I can't paddle into waves. Well, which is it? Do you want to catch more waves and go straight? Or do you want to catch less waves and be able to do what you want to do and get better at catching waves with your shorter board with technique? Do you, do you try to put them on equipment uh, according to where they want their surfing to go or where it is right now? Where it is right now. Um, and, and one step above it, that's what I try to do. Just a little so, bit of a reach, like a little yeah, stretch. Uh -huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How do we figure out if someone's on an overvolumed board? You know, I know there's like online calculators and firewire has one and i know there's a couple others and a lot of those make you kind of subjectively rate your skill right beginner intermediate advanced is it a bit of trial and error that you see like hey let me see on that board okay that's not working let me scale back the volume okay that works better or do you have like real-time testing or is there a way that you uh evaluate someone on the board they're on to figure out if it's too much for them so it depends on what level they are at as far as like, let's just take out beginners out of it and you're kind of an intermediate and you're trying to do turns and you're trying to flow and maybe you're at a better surfer where you can try to do off the lifts, but you keep falling back and, and things like that. So um, that area, it's, it's, it's really difficult to just say I'm at this leader. So when I started buying Channel Island surfboards because they were working really well, you know, I would have to buy 
a certain model and then I'd buy it and I was like, oh man, this is too much, too many leaders. I could just tell, I don't have the control to just put my head down and just slice through that water and just hit that lip. If you're fighting and you're doing too much, bye bye. That board mm -hmm. goes on my rack after two sessions, I'll know it or even one session. I'd be like, I just lost four, $300 on that board and I sell it on Craigslist. Then I buy another one and then I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I, I order slightly less and one liter less, maybe one, one and a half, depending on where, where mm -hmm. it's at. But what another problem you're going to have with that is that does this board have a push point? And what that means is on that entryway, which is underneath your chest, underneath on the bottom side of the board, where the water originally channels through, you can't see it with the naked eye. I mean, shapers can see it with the, the, the shaper's light. And there's sometimes a push point because if you really think about it, so many people touch that board from, from the person who makes that blank, right? And then during the drive, it's hot and that board and that, that foam twists. Now the shaper has to be good enough to shape that out. And then make, let's just make sure, let's say that he makes it perfectly the way you want it. Now the glasser glasses it and the glasser glasses it, touches it, and it's really, really foggy and dense and humid. Well, now that water gets trapped into that glassing because it's heavier. Sometimes you get a super light board and you'll be like, oh, that, that was during the Santa Ana's. That was like perfect heat, <laughs> hot. Mm -hmm. You got a light, ultra light board. And, <laughs> and then at the end, a sander sands it. And then if he's like, man, I just want to blaze through these boards. I don't care. These are, these are boards you buy off the rack. I'm just going to go fast and just mm. get paid more. So they're not going to be like looking at every single one and try to wow. sand through all the pieces. And so you're going to have push points and you're going to have, you know, that's why it's a hit and miss on the blanks on, um, off the rack. And I'll tell all my clients, I'll take them to a surf shop, kind of build boards and look at things. And I'll say, I'm not guaranteeing this, but this is what you should be writing. But the board could be a total dud because the entry and when you surf it, it does this versus flow. And, mm -hmm. and that's why you see those pro surfers with their hands up in the air with, with 50 boards behind them. Probably four of those out of those 50 boards work. And, they're right. the, and the, the rest go to surf shops with their decals and with a signature on it. And it looks brand new, been ridden twice. Those are dud boards. And if you mm -hmm. ask any pro surfer, they'll tell you the exact same thing of like, you know, and if you're not on a magic board, you're done. That's why they'll write a magic board, store it away for contest. Mm. Find another one, keep working through. Oh, I got another magic. And mm -hmm. that's the, that's the con, uh, constant search for competitive surfers. Mm -hmm. So what is a push point? It's a push point when you're pushing into the, to the wave. Mm -hmm. And when you stand up and when you go over to the bottom turn, you'll feel like it's not flowing. It's, mm. it's trapping you at the bottom and it's it's like and you make that hit and you have no drive afterwards and you're like this sucks and then i usually get mad i'm like this one sucks i'm so mad that i just got a dud and then you know i i order a new one right away and be like does the sucks. does the type of surf matter when you're testing that because i've i've seen people get boards and they take it out in crap waves and they hate them and then on a pretty decent day they love them um are you gonna feel that push push point no matter what uh, yes, on a, on a really dead board. Yes. Um, but a good surfer can surf 
it depends where your level is, but a good surfer can slice through those junky waves, just like it's a good wave. And there'll be, and you'll see if it's a good board, you'll be laughing. I mean, cause you're so happy. You're like, Oh my gosh, everyone's like slapping the water. It sucks out here. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. Ha ha. And you're bam, bam. And you're just like killing it. You know, that's when you have a magic board. And what happens is when you're surfing a magic board, you do stupid things because you feel like invincible. You feel like you can do mm-hmm. anything. And, w- and you kind of feel that way. But then you do something like you pull into this big fat barrel and then you break it in half. And you're like, why did I do that? I, I, I didn't even need to do that. And that's then, then you're in another quest for a year for an average surfer to find that board. So Sounds expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, Dan, I think it was 2009 I was really into rusty boards and I I I had probably what I thought was a magic board. It was a red line. Um one of their uh, models there. I loved it so much. I surfed it in Nicaragua and El Salvador and then it broke. And then I and then I contacted Rusty. I said I want the same exact board. And it like on paper it was the same board. It was the same dimensions. It looked the same. It felt the same, but I put the same fins in it and probably wrote it at least 20 something times and was just like, this is not the same board. And what I came to realize, I I contacted the factory. I I figured out that it was the same CAD design, the same glass, the same everything, except the finishing sander was different. And so that really opened up my eyes to maybe what you're talking about. I've never heard it phrased like push points, but... What I realized I enjoyed about that board was so subtle, maybe in the contour, the rail, or whatever it was, that it was just different when someone else did it, even though it was the same on paper. Right. Exactly. I had a board like that, too. I had one shaped uh, for a specific wave in Mexico that we went down to. So had it shaped for this trip, went down, got it you know, three, four days all to ourselves. Perfect. Love this board. Got the best wave of my life still to this day. Felt like just that magic board. And sure enough, on my third barrel on the same wave, I pulled in at the end closeout, came up with two halves. And then it was such a great board that I, you know, when we drove up to Puerto after that, I had the local Puerto guy like fix it. Yeah. And it never surfed the same. Never, never did. did. I still don't have a magic board right now and it's been about mm. eight months and I'm, you know, just still surfing, but I'm not like overly excited. I'm just like, yeah, I'm hitting those lip and, and it's like, it's fine. But I, yeah. I, I have two on order right now. I'm like, I got to speed find this, this up. I find this so interesting because you surf really, really well. So when you're like not motivated and you're like hitting the lip, it's still d- destroying the lip, I'm sure. But you, <laughs> in, your, in your perspective, it's totally yeah. different. It's That's hard. It's, it's hard to do that. I'm fighting to, to hit that lip to make it look mm-hmm. explosive without, with so much effort. With, I just want to be flying without effort and just, you know, yeah, so... So that's really a combination of skill and equipment. When you, when what we're talking about, this combination of the two, it makes surfing completely effortless. Yeah. How do we find a magic board, Dan? What do you do? Do you work intimately with the shaper, or you just order them off the rack? How do you do it? I've done them all. I've so I used to ride for Sharp Eye. 
uh, free trade ins. I've got a lot of boards and, you know, at that time I didn't really know much about boards. I just knew how they felt. And so, um, I had this one magic board and then literally I had it for a week and I felt like, I felt like so good for this contest that I was coming up and uh, I broke it the day before the contest and mm. magic boards just break in half. I, I just don't know why, but you, it just does. And so I, you know, I told him to make the same, he, he couldn't replicate it. And I was just like, and then at the time someone was writing American, and I tried it and it worked pretty good. Ordered American. I nailed it on the first one. It was a magic board. And then all of a sudden I was paying six, $700 for Merrick because I just wanted to feel that again. And I didn't care about my sponsorship at that time because I was like, I'd rather surf good than get free boards. I'd rather pay. And, you know, and I think most people would say that if I knew that I was going to get a magic board, I'd rather pay than get a, get a free, mm. not so good one, but um, sharp eye. Awesome. He still surfs. I mean, shape Philippe Toledo's board. Amazing. It's just that I didn't know that, you know, I was thinking I was going to get a magic board every time. So um, the, to answer your question, um, which was um, how do, how do we get it? You, you can't, I mean, you can't, I'm sorry to get, you have to keep trying literally. It's, yeah. it's, it's a quest. Yeah. yeah. It's not even one of those Awaco kind of solutions where you rent a board each time because you can't necessarily buy that board and it's not shaped to you or the waves that you're surfing. Um, it is, it is one of the curses of, of being a surfer. Yes. And what we do with Fulcrum is so with our clients, they'll pay, uh, you know, let's just say, uh, close to 700 for a brand new one. And a lot of times I give them a mulligan. So if, if they get it and it's totally not good and then, I would say, Hey, let me try that board. And if I see it, it just works like a dud. Then I'll, I'll ship them a brand new one that I'll turn that into a demo fleet where, you know, smaller kids can ride it on the whitewash and, 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 or, you know, I give it to the other coaches and let them, <laughs> let them struggle on it. And at least they have a board that's better than their beat up board. Cause you know, so that's kind of how we hedge that, um, that service, which, um, works out because people are happy they get two tries instead of one. Yeah, they need more of that, I think. And I was just—I was actually just talking to a client about that same thing. I was like, man, I wish there were more demo days. I wish, um, you know, it's hard for a shaper to do a demo day, but at least the shops doing demo days would be helpful because you might you might find that diamond in the rough just off the rack. But if if you try a demo and you love it, yeah. they're probably not going to let you have it. They're going to be right. like, well that's a good board. So I want people to buy that off of that magic board. So they're not going to sell you that magic board. They're going to make you another one and it's not going to be the same. And they got, got you. And that's it. You just paid $700 for my board. And that's what we do too. I'm sorry, to, but that's, that's the truth of it. I, yeah. we have a nine foot long board that is magic. Every person rides it. They're like, I want to buy this board. And we're like, no, sorry, you can order a new one, but I'll give you two shots, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's magic. We don't, it, it's beat up. I don't care. It works till the very end. And so, um, I'm that's sorry, it. I'm telling you the hot, cold, hard facts. No, that's, that's, I think it's cool that you give them a mulligan. That's yeah. better than everything it's else. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to another friend about that too. I said, you know, when you get a new board, uh, how long do you keep it? He's like, dude, if I don't feel it 
really well right off the bat, I get rid of it. Yep. One day. And, and, and I'm not like that. I'm like, oh, I'll give it another try. Oh, I'll give it a, like this one board I've been riding. I've been giving it like 20 tries. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I finally just ordered from uh, my shaper back in San Diego two new boards. So cross my fingers there. At least one of them is magic. See, you have that board back there in the background. That's yeah. see, you keep that because you know you have yeah. a heart thing attached that like that thing is yeah. a trusty. I'll tell you, it works, like you said, uh, because you sold to me in San Diego. You said, listen, I've seen you surf. This is going to work for you. And I remember my first session at OB San Diego. I took it out and I was like, oh my gosh, this thing's amazing. Yeah. And and I it only works in San Diego, though. Yeah. It doesn't work up here. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's too much wetsuit. I don't what, like What the, size is that for, by the way? It's 6'1". 6'1", I see. Okay. Yeah, 6'1". It's pretty it narrow. It's really narrow and it's really thin. It's knifey thin. Yeah. That would work wow. good at the Wave Ranch. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we go. We gotta go. We are going again. Yes. Indeed. So, so you uh, let's let's fill in some of the listeners on. Um, I mean, you you started Fulcrum in 03? 03, Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was just a few years after we graduated college. Yes. Um, kind of back then. What was your mindset? What was your inspiration for starting surf coaching in a school? Um, well, I was working for a surf company that teaches surf, you know, surf lessons. And there was a lot of things that were happening where all my buddies were teaching and they weren't, you know, good surfers at all. They were, they were like maybe two years into it and just barely catching waves and barely shortboarding and stuff like that. And they were all teaching and and it was just like, it was just crazy where it was just like so many people coming through this and it was just all about money. You know, it wasn't about really getting people to really um, learn how to surf. And so when you look at a lot of surf schools, it's, it's still like that. It's like, you know what, get them up on the board, get them down the line, which is great for someone who is a tourist, who's not going to do it again, have a good time. We call those tourist lessons, you know? And so, and that's great for what it is. But when people say, hey, I want a lesson to learn how to catch my own waves and, and learn to surf, then, you know, then you go to those surf schools that they don't really know. I mean, there's no training on that as well either. The coaches, all the surf schools that have gone in that had, um, you know, uh, become a surf instructor, and I asked them, hey, did you get any training? They're like, no. They just said, we just – sat through one lesson and no booklet, nothing. You just go out and all of a sudden you start teaching your own way and everything is completely just chaotic. You know, it's, it's just learn on the job and bash people down. They just fall, laugh about it. Hey, that's part of surfing. And so you really have to um, choose wisely when you're picking a surf school with, you know, who is at the head and, and what they stand for and how much they care. Yeah. I, I felt like there has to be a better product out there. And, uh, that's, that's when I started right away, you know, all my theories and, and, and looking at videos and looking at Slater constantly, you know, back then till now, I mean, he's, he's amazing. And so his style, obviously Tom Curran, you know, he's, he's a generation right after Tom Curran. And so, um yeah from that I, I really listened to what slater had to say with his articles and 
I was like, wow, Slater is giving some really good tips. And uh, from that, I, I um, got some tips about, for instance, his arm was up above his shoulder. And when he was turning, it showed two pictures where, um, wait, it showed two pictures of like side by side with his arm up and his left foot was in the water dragging. And then when it was below his shoulder line on the turn, the rail did not bog bog down into the water. Right. So it, it talked about, it talked about that, which was really cool. And, uh, and I started thinking about, you know, all the placements from that point on, which was about that. Oh, three time. Yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. Cause I remember you, um, working with a client when we were coaching together and you were talking about a full roundhouse cutback. Can you explain if you remember that conversation, like how do you do a full roundhouse cutback? You broke it down like into steps, which was the first time I've ever heard that kind of explanation. Yep. So um, there's two types of approach. One is if you're more of a higher performance surfer and competitive level, you're going to be coming down from the bottom. And then as you come up to the top, it's in two, it's broken down in two pieces. It all looks like in one piece, and everyone's trying to do it in one piece, but it's not. So you have your speed. And as you come up with your speed, as you come up, making sure that your back foot is on the very back part of that tail pad, which is, this is the arch on the, on the tail pad here, making sure your foot is against it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you don't have leverage, by the way. So when you're coming up at the top, and so when you see this wave here, <laughs> you like this little wave? Yeah. So when you're coming up, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Get the trestles model. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's too small. <laughs> so when you're coming up at the top here, right about that time, it's, it's a subtle turn right at the top here. So you're literally gliding from the speed that you got and you're just kind of coasting from the top and you're just kind of bringing your board down this way. And then from this point on, you're actually doing like a backside off the lip. So from here you compress at this point and you drop your, body again and then you're kind of come going back up to to hit that lip so you don't you don't just come around slashing all the way around bam it looks like it but it's it's not it's it's uh because it looks so fluid so you're getting the speed coming up here glide it down compress and then bam right back into that to that off the lip you know when you you explain that this is exactly how you explained it that day I went to the skate ramp uh, into a bowl and I felt that, you know, when you're up on the wall, you're weightless and then you compress as you come around. Yes. And I was like, dude, he nailed it. Like it, it, it I think one of the biggest, biggest mistakes I make whenever I try that is I try to push too early when you're supposed to be weightless at that top. Point. Yes. Yeah. Weightless at the top. Yeah. What other mistakes do you see? Like if someone wants to surf more vertically, because this is something I hear a lot, is I want to surf more vertically. What are some of the kind of the big mistakes that people make that are easier to fix? Yeah. So um, first is your approach on. So when you diagnose that this is a wave that I can hit it vertically. So you have to first look at what you're getting with the wave. And if it's a little peak with a shoulder on it, you got to know right away that's high percentile of getting vertical, hitting the lip and landing it. Mm-hmm. So when you go and drop in on a, on a good peak, you want to go straight down. You don't want to go sideways already. 
because you want to go straight down and that's the way you go straight up. So the direction you go down on your bottom turn is the direction you're going to go up. So look at your video footage. If you look at the line, you're dropping in slightly angled. Now your turn is not vertical. You're going to come down. If it's 45, your nose is going to be 45. So you go down, arm sweeping across. And as you look up, you got to look behind you. I call it the dragon tail. It's kind of yeah, like behind backside. you. backside. You're talking about backside, backside off the top. Backside. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. So backside, we're coming up and you're sweeping. This arm cannot get above here. Yeah. You got to sweep it underneath you, staggered. And as you look and you look behind, most people look over here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where they're going to not do the vertical turn. But it feels mm-hmm. like a vertical turn. You feel right. like you just yeah. killed yeah. it. Wow. But you're not behind. So when you go behind, it gives you an opening way more. Mm-hmm. And also your flexibility. Are you flexible enough? Like for me, I'm getting tighter. And I feel like with my trainer, I'm always like, open me up because I got to get more vertical. So when I do stretches, he pushes my body to open up my torso cool. to be able to see right here. And as you go here, then you got to throw your front knee up up into your body more behind you and as that's going this back arm tomahawks down with your head down and it's a real weird thing you have to look at yourself on footage a hundred times you have to get that video and that way you're like man i thought i was vertical i'm not vertical and you've got to keep working on that you can't just be like i'm just going to get vertical all of a sudden Mm -hmm. because you feel like you're compressed and you feel like you're doing it but when you look at your footage you're going to be like Oh man, okay. I I've got a long way to go. And so mm-hmm. being humble, get a girlfriend or your buddy to film you and then get you know, get started on that venture. It's such a useful tool getting video taped. I think um I was just going to ask you somebody that feels intimidated to go vertical to say like, "Oh, you know what? I I don't know if I want to go behind like it just seems critical and steep. Does watching video over and over again finally get them over that hump? Or is there, are there any other things that you might tell someone about going vertical to get over that? Well, it's, it's all mindset. If, if you want to get there, you kind of have to eat dirt <laughs> for a few and fall and, mm-hmm. and put yourself at risk. If you don't, no risk, no reward. And that's kind of, you know, it's what you want. And some people don't want to get vertical. That's totally fine. It's still cool. It's still doing different things, but if that's your goal, then, then you got to put yourself in that mind frame. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned falling. Um, it's anything, any goal that you have, you're going to have to fall a bunch, right? Yes. Do you get embarrassed when you fall? I just laugh. I, I, yeah. I think it's funny. I'm like, man, I just cooked it. I'm like, God, <laughs> <laughs> I did it today. I, I, I was not paying attention and it was sucking underneath me and I, I was just casual and all of a sudden the thing dropped, my nose went straight down. I like whiplashed right into the, to the floor. And I just, I had water up my nose. I was like, Oh my gosh. And you know, just laughing, you know, it wasn't like, Oh man, I'm, I'm embarrassed. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're yeah. just, just have fun. Don't care so much what people are thinking of you out there. Nobody cares. Everyone's caring about them, themselves and what they look like. And so 
because a lot of people get like, oh, there's all these people and I, I'm afraid. I'm, I always have to tell them, nobody cares. That kid right there doesn't care about you. He's thinking about how he can get your wave. And that's, <laughs> that's really it. Serving is kind of selfish. You know, we all want to catch as many waves we can and show off and, you know, and do the best we can. And that's kind of fun. And that's kind of like being a kid, right? You know, so, yeah. Dan, I love how you uh, describe that backside. I've never heard it put that way, like looking behind you and opening up through your trunk and then creating space to get your knee there. What about going um, forehand? Because you're you don't really need to look behind to create leverage. So, what, what what's the difference with what you're coaching or what you're maybe thinking about when you're at, when you're coming off the bottom on the forehand? Front side's actually way harder than backside, I think. Backside yeah. is just doing a bottom turn at the top of the wave. And mm. front side is more opening up and, and facing it, which is awkward as you're going up. You're kind of facing it, and it's, it, allows, it makes you want to go backwards right away. And so, and with my tight back, I, I always struggle with that front side because my hamstrings are really, really tight, one of the tightest parts of my body. And so my, throughout my career, I always struggled in my front hand. And so um, the biggest way to do that is making sure that, you know, your right arm, if you're going front side, is sweeping behind you and then putting your kind of your front rail down. And sometimes you have to put your head down. If you look at Tom Curran, Kelly mm -hmm. Slater, they're just trusting that getting close to that kind of surface water. And that that's, depends on like a bigger wave, by the way. So it's, you know, shoulder to head high versus like a one foot vertical off the lip on a one foot, mm -hmm. two foot wave. That's a different difference in that. But on a bigger wave, you kind of take your time. And the biggest problem that most people have is they try to do the bottom turn too far ahead of mm -hmm. out, out past the shoulder. So when you want to get up, you want that whitewash to kind of be kind of in front of you almost so that you're coming from behind the whitewash and then you're in the critical zone. Because mm -hmm. if you're not in the critical zone, you can't, come back mm -hmm. does that make sense or Absolutely. if it's wet less of a shoulder you have to let off the gas a little bit and then do not do it turns into a carve right so similar to the backside you're still taking off straight down yes and then you're almost you're you're leaning but not not overly leaning because i think my biggest problem has always been i i'm like i push really hard like i'm gonna Argh! and then i kill the speed by the time i get to the top yes and that that could be two reasons you went out too far to the flats mm -hmm. and or or your when you're bottom turning it could be your board your board is um it has too much volume at that point you'll pancake the board will flatten yeah. out that's when you know for sure your your leaders are too much anytime mm. you are doing a turn and it pancakes out mm. you're too much too much leader so i completely felt that when i was in indo at bala i was on uh, i was on like a small wave board and it, it was still it was like a couple feet overhead and it that's exactly what happened and my i got home i got back to camp that day my calves were like like locking up because i was like pressing so hard to try to get the rail in the rail wouldn't go in yes mm -hmm. too much volume and and if you surf tropical waves it has more salinity so you need less volume when you go surf tropical waves yeah mm -hmm. yeah and you don't have a wetsuit on typically right 
Exactly. Yep. So you're yeah. lighter and you could handle thinner, thinner volume. So Dan, like, so that bottom turn to top turn, you just described dropping straight down. Uh, that sounds appropriate. When is it appropriate to forgo the bottom turn and race? Like what, what's going on in your mind or what do you coach as a cue? Like if you're a surfer paddling in, how do you make the decision to go, okay, I'm going straight down or I'm going to point it mid or high and run it? So it depends on a couple things. If you, if you're, when you're surfing, you'll know that certain characteristics of that day, like, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's like wedging. Then I'm like, get greedy. I'm like, yes, I'm going to, this is an air day. You know, I'm going to go down, go really fast up high, bust an air or, you know, and then when you've, done that a couple times oh let's mix it up let's let's go straight down show people i have more tricks in my bag than just airs you know so you want to be a well-rounded surfer so um you know everyone's different obviously some kids will just do airs all day just because that's what's cool right now and that's what mm -hmm. they're trying to do but being well-rounded have some old school with some new school is is really really good i think yeah yeah, it's interesting because we spoke with Clayton, I don't know when that was, Rob, a month ago or so. And Clayton and you are kind of talking the same language, like kind of going down, looking at the bottom, setting a fundamental turn to kind of like set up the stage for success, right? And I don't know where I heard this, but it might have been on some YouTube video like a decade ago or so where... Someone had made the comment, you want to look where you're going. It was some surf coach, but I don't remember. And so whether or not it was his message or I misinterpreted the message, what I started doing in my surfing was I started looking with my literal eyes down the line. Like if it was a right, I was looking 20 yards ahead. And then I kind of felt like that really fouled me up because I was just really racing versus like just taking my focus and looking at the bottom and then kind of making a decision. However, I do feel like if you have the skill to look down the line on a certain wave, it's a great skill. So like I kind of, that's one thing I've kind of picked up on in my personal surfing in the last year or two is like, what type of wave is it? Where's my vision in the beginning? And how's that going to like set up the stage for success? Am I looking at the bottom? Because I'm thinking... I'm pointed towards the beach and I'm trying to do a bottom turn to top turn or am I looking 20 yards down because I already know based off of something that I saw in the wave that this wave's going to run and I'm looking there but it's a really hard thing to for me to articulate like if I had to coach that to someone I don't even really know exactly how I would describe that yeah so that's a good question um the biggest thing when you're doing a more technical turn it's let's just say you're going for a vertical turn right off the bat. And that's what we're trained to do as a competitor because the very first part of the takeoff is usually the biggest part of the wave. And so you want to get a vertical turn so the judges can see, Hey, you just did the biggest turn at the biggest part of the wave. You get points right off the bat. So when you're doing that, if you look at Taylor Knox, he'll, and you look at his old surf video called arc and he does like old school turns he'll kind of explain like, okay, there's these checkpoints that you do. So when you drop in, I'm like, 
Okay, is my front foot there? Perfect, check. Is my back foot all the way back on the tail pad? Check. Is my knees tucked in? Check. Is my shoulder slightly tilted on the front shoulder? Check. And then from there, he'll, you'll see it. He does this, like this delay. You can see it. he's checking his mind and through his body. Mm -hmm. And then from there, he knows that he can let it loose after everything has checked out. And so, he, so at that point, he's not like really looking. He's, that part is turned off. His vision's kind of like just in a trance and he's just going check, 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 check. And then from that, he knows just bottom turn, bam, just go for that hit. And mm -hmm. it, it, you know, those are the checkpoints that most surfers go through. Now, if it's racing down line, those checkpoints are gone. They're, they're kind of like, it's a happy land. You're just like, oh, what am I going to do? Boom, boom. You know, you're just kind of going back and forth, roundhouse. And then when you're going down, you know, you're going for that air or that floater or however way you want to do your turns. But the technical side of it, like the turns, are most likely the only time when you're not focused on looking down the line so much. Gotcha. It's almost like a sense of where your body is at in space exactly knowing that and then having a feeling of the wave and letting like muscle memory or something take over exactly so after that first critical turn then then you're looking down the line maybe it's a perfect wave and you're on a wave pool and you're just doing the bam yeah. bam and and when that happens after every turn your turns get stronger and stronger because you're just in that flow and so mm. at that point you don't even have to do the checkpoints anymore because it's kind of the first one sets you up for the rest of the wave. Awesome description, man. Thanks for that. Hey, Dan, what do you, what do you think about when you're on a wave? Like, what do you look for when you're surfing a wave? Um, what am I looking for? Yeah, like this morning. Take a wave this morning and kind of talk us through it. Like, you drop in. What are you looking for if you can think back? I know it all happens so quickly for you and for you because you've surfed for so long it's all kind of second nature, but if you could kind of rewind that and look at your own tape. Gotcha. Kind of so when I'm looking at the wave before I like, as I'm paddling out to it to see, and I see this corner, I already know what I'm going to do. And the more nuggety and the more just, it's like perfect shoulder. Then I'm like, ah, you know, like so happy. I'm like, Oh my gosh, no one's inside of me. This is my wave. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. You know? And when I go in, I'm already like, I'm going to just, this like that's just my thought of like okay i'm gonna straight up and i'm gonna give the biggest blow tail and just hit that lip as hard as i can on that first one and then after that secondary it's kind of like oh what it's giving me oh it's yeah. mushing out cut back you know and then and then oh it's still going i'm gonna keep going and so mm -hmm. um usually about the first turn i'm thinking about mainly that i need to succeed and make it the biggest turn I could possibly do on this wave. Right. And you're, and, and you're really something you mentioned when you're answering Jim's question is you're kind of just breaking it down step by step. You're, you're almost doing your own checkpoint uh, and saying, well, I'm not going to think about down the line until I'm past this one point. And then I'm not going to think about the next thing at beyond that because I don't know what the wave's going to necessarily do or where I'm going to be positioned. Yeah. And, and the only way that, I would counteract that is if I'm surfing J Bay and I know the script is already written, right. you know, and you're surfing a reef break and you know that, or a wave ranch, you know that there's two turns and then the barrel, then two turns and then the barrel. So that's different. Obviously I I'm mm -hmm. already, that's when you're scripting everything. Um, 
and different breaks have different scripts. So what do you prefer to surf? Do you prefer to surf a scripted wave or one that's more free flowing? More free, more free, free flowing for sure. I I think the scripted wave, it's gets boring because I'll do all those turns that I wanted and I'll do it in like 30 minutes and then I'm bored. I'm like, "Mm, now what? It's not giving me a chance to do airs. It's not, it gets, I think most surfers will say they get bored and um, yeah. But for progression, those scripted waves are really good, right? Really good for progression. If you're working on something, amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Dan, I want to go back to something you said about Rob's question. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're reading the wave and you already know you're going to do a blow tail before you do it. How much of that is you in the water real time making critical decisions split seconds before and seeing it happen? And how much of it is premeditated from suiting up in the parking lot and looking at certain factors from, okay, that wave does that. I know I can do that there. Or is it a blend? Um, most likely I'm not scripting it, especially from suiting up. Not, not a, I, I look at it and I just go, yes, I know what to expect. Like mm-hmm. just by looking at it for a few minutes. Um, and then I suit up and then I sit and watch maybe one set before I, you know, do my deal. Like I, I go, okay, oh, look at that inside sandbar. Look at this, look at that. And so mm-hmm. from there, I'm um, positioning myself. What are the little traps that are going? Sorry, that's my thought. That's okay. <laughs> that's so, okay. So, um, yeah, so it, it really comes from the, the scripting part is really from the beach, looking at the sandbars, the little pieces where I'm going to see that other people are not seeing. And that's because mm-hmm. um, everybody goes to where everybody is. They go, oh, mm-hmm. that's where everybody goes. And you're like, and it's so funny because I'm sitting there with a client and I'm like, and there's a set wave and I'm, and I, and she's wanting to paddle out and I'm like, stay right next to me. And like, but she's, it's a set. There's a wave. Everyone's paddling out. And I'm like, let them all paddle out. Cause they're all going to, the blinds leading the blind out there. It's going to back off and pr- break perfectly like five feet in front of us. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they all turn around, paddle their heart outs, miss it, you know, because they're not looking at the base of the wave when you, when you're looking to catch the wave. And that's the biggest trap is everybody looks at the top. The top could be very vertical, but the bottom has a lot of water still not com- compressing down to making that vertical. So, which is a point that is really good for the viewers is that look at the base of the wave, you know, because when you look at a, a Eiffel Tower, you see that it's going straight up versus the Twin Towers more vertical, which is going to mm-hmm. fall when... The, you know, something happens, the Twin Towers, more vertical. So mm. it's, it's the base of the wave that helps you see the progression. If it's, the base is dropping out, you know that thing's barreling and you want to mm-hmm. bail out or you want to say, yes, it's a barrel. Finally, I could just airdrop into that barrel. Mm-hmm. But if it's flattening, they're not seeing that and they're still paddling, you, you should have just stopped because the bottom just filled back up with water. It hit a deep, deep point in the ocean and it's not going to break. So, so when you're paddling in, you're looking at the bottom, looking at the bottom, seeing the behaviors of the bottom of, mm-hmm. of, um, if it's, if the bottom water is, is sinking or is it coming back up? 
And what's tricky is you'll see it sink when you first see it and you're like, yes, it's a wave. And then it goes down and it comes right back up. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look at it for maybe two, three seconds. As you paddle looking back, you see it come back up, stop paddling. Mm-hmm. Where people don't see those cues and they're all just like, I swear that's a wave. I'm just going to keep paddling mm-hmm. until I, and then they miss it, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah, man, I felt like my first 10 years of surfing was exactly what you first described. It was showing up to the beach, going out to the peak, in other words, where everybody was, without any intent of any of what you're saying. And it took like a decade to like, I guess, read waves, if this is what you want to call that. But like, that is such a hard thing to teach. And I see kids these days that are so much better at it, just a few years into surfing than I ever was and I don't know if that's because there's more people like you out there or if it's yeah more stuff online but um how do you how do you kind of like uh teach that to your beginner to intermediate or even intermediate to advanced like is it just a matter of trial and error and then talking through the specifics for that wave where maybe that person could have done something differently or is it is it more of like a holistic sense like hey let's uh go watch the sunset tonight and i'm gonna tell you everything i'm thinking about um watching these waves so usually when i have a first-time client i go through theories with them about what to look for Mm -hmm. and i break it down on the sand because the sand you could you know carve out the wave and that the types of waves and sometimes you'll see like two little waves and you see this back wave and it's really powerful looking. And then you have this little hump and this trough and it's not as deep, but it's just kind of a little bump. And then you have a little wave in the middle mm-hmm. and everybody's chasing the, the back wave and the, the front wave actually trumps the back wave. So you always want to look at the front wave. And if you can start going early and get ahead of it so that the front wave can form up so you can catch it, that wave's going to have a lot of power backing from that bigger wave in the back. And it mm-hmm. a lot of times gives you a lot of velocity to do turns and things like that. But most people kind of let the front wave go and they turn around, they try to catch the back yes. wave, they miss it. So I go through a lot of theories on the beach. Being perpendicular to the wave is a huge thing. Everyone tries to go sideways. Their buddies tell you, hey, start paddling sideways and you'll start going down the line. Right. Yes and no. That's a yes and no question. That is yes if you know what you're doing. No, mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're doing, because you're going to mm-hmm. miss half the wave. The wave comes at you, you know, say per- perpendicular, and then it starts shifting left. And that person just keeps going straight. Now, this is the weak part right here. This is the power. Mm-hmm. And they're going away from the power and they're, they'll miss it versus paddling. The wave shifts to the left. You need to shift left, catch the wave at that angle, perpendicular like a T, catch into the wave and then surf right. Mm-hmm. and it's the opposite too and so yeah. yeah it's there's a lot of things that you have to um look at the perpendicular of the wave is really important and that happens because people don't stare at the wave long enough they just look right. at it and they're just looking at the wave behind versus looking at it which wave is the wave turning which way is the power headed number one number two how steep is it is it getting steep is it getting flat? So those are the two axes you have to kind of see as you look and paddle. And if you're paddling fast, well, you are already might be there. You need to stop paddling and let the wave come to you because you're already at the perfect timing. And it's all about pushing your chest, you know, doing the 
the transition paddle right into that wave and getting in. Yeah, for the viewers that can't see what Dan's doing, essentially, Dan, I think you just described like a fade takeoff going perpendicular with the wave. That's cool. I've never really heard it described like that. Yeah, there's a lot of science and physics behind that, and um, I love that you bring this up because it's it's a common mistake all the time. Like as soon as you go angle to the wave, you're actually taking energy away from transferring to you. You're only getting a portion of that energy that 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 wave is going to be transferring to you because energy can either be created or destroyed. It's just transferred. It's moved on, and um, I love the way that you've described the way that you watch the wave make a turn we talk about you know waves horseshoeing all the time and coming back towards us and uh, a lot of surfers get stuck in this well wait a minute for the last half hour the wave is broken this way they don't take any consideration changes in in tide in conditions and and seeing those little humps before the wave and noticing that that hump is going to take all the energy from behind yeah on it Whereas if you see really clean water, that wave, it looks the same as the one that was behind. But if there's really clean in front of it, yeah, that thing's going to break out further out. Exactly. But they, but the, again, it's one track mind. And to Jim's point about like, you know, how do you teach that? You just got to see it over and over and over again, but with some guidance like what you've described. It helps immensely when someone finally like turns on that light and says, Hey, you know why why it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't? It's because of this. Yeah. And so what you've been able to do taking old footage of Slater and your own experiences, it's you've taken, you know, decades of knowledge and you've basically packaged it into like a, a cheat sheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wanna go as fast as possible. Um, yeah. you know, and and that's what I do is I you know, I want to go get them at the fastest pace, but I don't skip steps. That's the most important thing is you got to, and I'll tell them, I'm like, Hey, you can't get there until this, you know? And so, and sometimes I see limitations of, for people looking back, they can't look back. That's a huge problem. If you can't look back at the, and figure out the Intel, what the wave is going to do, you're, you're kind of screwed because you're, you're at the mercy of the wave and that thing jacks up you don't know it mm -hmm. and it hits you like a massive train and and then all of a sudden you get more scared because you're like mm -hmm. it's the unknown it's like oh no oh no what what if what if mm -hmm. so you have to paddle you have to be able to arch your chest up look back and that's you know comes into gym you know people seeing you treating that being able to get more flexible to be able mm -hmm. to arch your chest up and be able to still stare at the wave behind you um it's massive intel that you're, you need in order to be more consistent. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to ask about your uh, partner, Elise Quarantini, who's a physical therapist down there, because um, it's so unique that you've teamed up with her. So for those listening, Dan works intimately with a personal trainer as well as a physical therapist. I'm intrigued by that because I'm a, obviously a physical therapist, but how does it pragmatically function? Like, does she refer people to you or vice versa? Do you see a physical limitation in somebody's skill set and then you communicate it to her and then you tell her what you see? How does that relationship work? Yeah, if, if 
Steven or Elise have clients that want to surf better, then, you know, they refer them to me. And then I have clients and I'm like, you're stuck with physical limitations. You have to go see Elise. You have to, I, because it's not, I can't help you because your body's not going to help you get to the next level. And I'm not going to keep taking your money to just say, Oh yeah, let's just keep going. It's like, no, you need to get that done so we can go keep soaring, you know, Mm -hmm. your progression keeps soaring instead of, Oh, you know, you can't look. And so, um, there's like a physical prereq requirement, right? Before you can really maximize the full potential of what you do. Like, you mentioned opening up, like I need to be able to move my trunk when I'm doing a backside bottom turn and look behind me. And if I have that physical restriction, obviously I'm probably not going to go vertical on my backside snap. Yes. Right. Are there any other physical um, kind of uh, prereqs that you look for in people? You mentioned compressing and extending and twisting. Um, what are some other kind of common uh physical things that you pick up working with people that are limiting yeah so when you're paddling on the board obviously rob you know you're the master at that uh not being dead weight on the board right so that's you know a huge thing if you can't be able to kind of lift up lift yourself up and become a a one with the board as a hard board you know and being able to kind of glide and cut versus you know just slouching on the board and then your arms doing all the work and you're not incorporating the body. And so um, those physical limitations um, as well as um, what I try to do is, you know, as you're paddling into the wave, lift up your midsection off to, to, to tilt that board down at the Mm. right timing. Right. So, you know, lifting that up, some people don't have that, you know, they can't, um, you know, they have limitations with that um, compressing for kids, young kids, you know, sometimes um, they don't have the, the strong le- legs. They have the little chicken legs still. So, you know, um, look at like Dorian's uh, Shane Dorian's son, you know, he's doing huge things. He's, he's been training, you know, with world-class trainers and that's why he can do all those ridiculous air three sixties and inverted three sixties because he works with trainers. If you see his legs, it's pretty strong. You could see it's, it's, it's pretty in ratio, like not like an adult, but it's way more than a average little kid. And so mm-hmm. there's certain physical things that you can do to become um, stronger. Yeah. I bet Jackson Dorian's been hunting, you know, feral pigs on Hawaii with his bare hands and a, just a knife for years. So, yeah. <laughs> and he gets to serve Velzy land right in front of his house. Absolutely. You know, he's got, I mean, and no one's going to mess with them. He's Shane Dorian's son. So it's, he's got, you know, he's got it all. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of access to yeah. that. Hey Dan, I, um, I wanted to, to talk to you really quickly because it's, um, uh, about travel. Cause I know travel has been a big part of your life. You've traveled your whole life. You've, you've traveled for surfing and adventures and you've taken groups to places um, with COVID the way it is, we're all kind of limited on that. But what, in terms of surfing, what is probably the biggest lesson you get or, or that you would give for traveling? What does traveling give a surfer? Traveling gives a certain consistency where you don't have work, you don't have 
you know, you, when you travel, you're usually just there to surf. So you're eating, you're, you know, surfing, sleeping, surfing, back again, back and forth. And, and that's a repetitive thing that you don't usually get. With traveling, a lot of times you go somewhere where it's really nice and warm, so you're not wearing trunks. You're a lot happier. You're not stressed out about work, you know. And so there's just a lot of pluses on that side of, of, of traveling. Um, and you're usually getting better waves, you know. So um, all in all, um, traveling's just like a, a, a training for five, six days or a month, however long you travel for. But yeah. Um, yeah. That being said, you know, uh, post COVID when we can all travel again, it's going to be right around the time that a lot of wave pools are going to be opening more and more. It's going to be more, um, accessible for us to go more locally, at least here in the States, maybe even Australia as well. Do you see that as becoming the new surf trip? Because, you know, you don't need to go as far. You're getting consistent waves that are dedicated to you instead of traveling halfway around the world and ending up, you know, actually in a crowded lineup that you wouldn't expect. Do you, do you kind of see that as kind of the new surf trip? Um, for some people, yes. Uh, as I take people to the wave ranch, um, the wives are very happy that he's only gone for two days instead of seven days. So that was <laughs> a huge, <laughs> that was a huge thing that I didn't even think about. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. And he's yeah. like, you know what? I got to surf epic waves for a full day waves that I would never get on a surf trip because there'd be too many good surfers around in that spot too intimidating sometimes locals that you're dealing with crime later out on the beach leaving your stuff out you know there's it's sometimes really easy to go to wave pools and hopefully the wave pools will lighten up the crowd and the travel right so hopefully you know it could play itself both ways and be be good for that so I never thought about that. That's a that's a great point that it might spread spread some of the love out. What um, you said for a certain level, the wave pool trip is kind of a good thing. What would be the other surfer? What why would someone want to go abroad? Um, you know, it's it's to kind of experience different types of waves. Um, usually, when you travel, it's completely different from where you came from. That's right. You usually have different waves. Um, you really kind of get out there and it feels kind of like the jungle a little bit because you're out there and you're kind of like, wow, like there's all these locals where you're not used to, you know, maybe it could be Asians and, and the Bali to Mexico, you know, Mexico to Latin people. They all have different little flares about themselves. You know, they different cultures. If you go to Brazil, they're very aggressive. So you're kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, good to know. And so there's just a lot of things that, um, you know, um, to see. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really about diversifying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that's one of the biggest lessons of traveling abroad, uh, just in general, just expanding your, your own, um, perspective of on life. Right. And, uh, I think for surfing it is too. And you, you even mentioned, you can have these kind of breakthrough moments in in the more uncomfortable situations whereas a wave pool you're going to be pretty comfortable most of the time yes um so yeah that's a great point that there's kind of a time and a place for one type of surf trip over another you know one might be you know what you're ready to kind of have a breakthrough moment that means you got to go abroad you can't be comfortable all the time and then, you know what, let's just go and we, we, you just need repetitions. Let's go to a wave pool. 
You know, you need repetitions and immediate feedback. Let's do wave pool. Um, a really, really good point. And there's also different wa waves have different weirdness to in different countries. And it's good to kind of learn that you have to, you know, all these pro surfers, they'll go to Chopu one, one week and then they're surfing soft waves in Brazil. And then next week they're surfing, you know, a uh, perfect reef break at Superbanks, you know, in Australia. So they, they get everything. That's why they're so good. Cause they really can surf any type of wave on a, on a dime. So. Did you think that that accelerated your learning curve growing up? Cause you were traveling a bunch as a kid. Definitely. I, I grew up in uh, Palos Verdes and there's a torn speech called burnout. It's constantly closing out. It's, you know, and I had to learn how to get down the line, get up really fast or it closes out on you. So um, at the same time, when you, when it's the, the North swells, um, you'll get the perfect waves that like indicator and all these little reef breaks that, get really good and so you're surfing almost world-class waves in your backyard but it only happens like 10 days out of the year you know mm -hmm. maybe 15 but um so it's really really bad or really really good and when you come down to san diego it's always in the middle range you know it's 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 hardly ever epic and firing unless you go to a super crowded spot um with you know you can go to blacks and mission beach and um you know and but Trestles is always good. You know, you can go surf lowers and uppers and stuff like that. So, yeah. But that variety of waves that you got growing up helped you immensely. Helped massively. Yeah. yeah. You kind of, you're, you're kind of adding to your database of different waves you've seen and you've kind of store them in the back of your brain. You're like, okay, when I see a wave that looks like that, this is yeah. how it, it has reacted or acted in the past. So I'm going to, I'm going to already know kind of how to deal with that now or right. have another rep. That's cool. And Dan, you did the QS. I did. Yeah. What, what years did you do that? Do uh, yeah, I think that was 99, I think 99 to 03, 04. Um, cool. And then I kind of sporadically did a couple later. Um, yeah. It's, you know, um, U.S. Opens to New Jersey's, you know, East Coast. Um, I think I did one in Japan. Um, and just, uh, you know, and the East Coast is completely different wave. You know, it was really tough to generate speed over there. It was really small and just gutless. And, uh, but good learning experience again, you know. Scores were lower for everybody. Um, but, um yeah. So positive experience on the, on the QS. Oh, very positive. Um, yeah. Um, at the end, there was a couple things that I didn't like about judging where it was really, really, I had it automatically locked down and then some veteran that had a bigger name, you know, it was weird. I was like, okay, 30 seconds. I chased after him. I let him have a half a foot wave because it was, that's it. That was at Newport beach jetty and he caught it you know, bouncing all the way to the shore, doing little turns and gets the score he needed. And I was like, mm. okay, this is, there's six foot waves that I scored three big yeah. top turns and, yeah. and scored. And he gets my score after doing <laughs> six cutbacks. Some politics <laughs> so I, there, huh? Yeah. I, I just, after that, I was like, okay, this is, yeah, th yeah I could talk forever about that, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll spare you. Um, 
if if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to contact you? Um, you can uh, text me um, 858-405-5066. You can email me, dan at fulcrumsurf.com. Um, and you can check out our website as well. You can book online um, for a private session with me um, under Premier Coaches. Yeah. So um, there's different levels of coaches that we have with different um, – experience levels and um, certification that kind of we we go through with our coaches so yeah and all of us all of his coaches can surf really well so <laughs> you're gonna get someone that knows what they're talking about i've always loved the name fulcrum surf because you know from a physics point of view the fulcrum is the balancing point it's the yeah. base right and it's like that that tipping point when you're about to drop in you feel that full is, is that where it came from yes so actually it came in finance class <laughs> Oh, nice. I never, yeah, I never knew what that meant. And I was looking for a name and it talked about leveraging your money and it talked oh. about leveraging investor money instead oh, of your word. money. Yeah. yeah. So it's the fulcrum point. This is, you know, the investor money, yours is little here. And so it was talking and I was like, wow, it has to do with, you know, a point in where a lever rests. And so that's the vocabulary of like, and it has to do with surfing, you know, yeah. and uh, our logo has the two F's like this. It has to do with balance. So it's like the F and F. And then when you point it vertically, it says uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So it kind of shows different levels. I never noticed that. I'm seeing that right now. That's really cool. Was the balance uh, a little bit of roots to your Japanese background too? I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. I think I think balance comes from when I was born, I was born in June and 15th. So it was always middle of the year, middle of the month. And mm -hmm. it's always kind of what I always seek is, is fairness and balance. And so that's kind of my MO. And so, that's cool, yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up your time and my, my, my uh, son's about to start trumpet lessons. So we, yeah. we probably <laughs> should get up. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, your time. That was great. We'll have to do it again. And yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, Dan. It was a pleasure talking with you, man. Yeah, definitely, Jim.